O Lord, you are a rock to me. You have redeemed and set me free. What a great truth to end that that song with. Remain standing. And let's open our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. We'll read this morning verses 15 through 23, 15 through the end of chapter 6 this morning. Follow along with me as I read. This is God's word to us this morning, people of God. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for our, um, the great blessing of our accessibility. Ability to access it and to hear it and to, to read it, Lord, and to learn from it. And we thank you that you have given to us each your Holy Spirit who instructs us, who takes your word and makes it effective in our lives so that we might be sanctified by it. And we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon this time. We pray, Father, that we who hear would hear with obedient hearts and rejoicing hearts. We pray, Father, for the one who proclaims it, Lord, may he do so uh, powerfully and accurately and obediently, Lord, to you. And we pray that you would be glorified through this time in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So we are continuing this morning to work our way through Romans 6, which, remember, along with chapter 7, we have noted is a kind of of parenthesis within this letter to the Romans uh, in Paul's discussion in chapters 5 through 8 of the, the benefits and the results of someone being justified by God. And because of the importance of that word justification and of that teaching of justification, let me once again remind ourselves um, and any who may be joining us late, who may be watching online, uh, what that term means, just what it means to be justified by God. I mean, it's, it's a doctrine that is so important in the church. Remember, it's a doctrine that, that, that Calvin said is the, 
or the Luther said, is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. Calvin said, if you don't have the doctrine of justification right, you don't have a church. That's how critical this is. This is the gospel. Of course, it's a theological term, justification. It's also a biblical term. We've run across it as Paul has been explaining it to us. And it refers to that act of God by which he pronounces a believing sinner forgiven of all of his sins and not just forgiven but righteous in his sight and all of that is based on the full and complete redemptive work of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life as a man here among us in absolute obedience to the law of God and to the will of his father and though he was innocent of any sin, he died the death of a sinner on the cross and there bore the divine and righteous, just wrath of God against sin. And it is on the the bedrock of that work then that God accounts a believing sinner's sin to Christ and accounts Christ's righteousness and obedience to that sinner, graciously providing what he requires, what God requires. A righteousness, the only righteousness, which can put someone in a right standing with God. And when all of, through all of that, God declares a believing sinner righteous in his sight. That sinner, we say, the Bible says, is justified. And this comes to the believing sinner by God's grace. It is not earned. It is not deserved by us. God is not required to give it. But He gives it, as Paul says in Romans 3.24, by His grace as a gift. Freely. It does not come. It cannot come as the result of any work of any person. Not you, not me. Not the best person. Not Paul. It comes to us, well, it comes to us as a a popular ad campaign right now says it comes free. Free, 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 free. That is how salvation comes to us. Paul calls it a free gift four times in chapter 5 as he explains that. But what of that? What are the implications of a justification that is totally free that is totally apart from our works is it open to abuse is that understanding well we've seen in the beginning part of chapter six that yes it is it is open to misunderstanding and it can raise some questions and we are looking at those very kinds of questions here in verses or chapters 6 and 7. We've already considered how Paul dealt with the first of those questions back in verses 1 through 14. Remember the first question was as Paul said, if as Paul said at the end of chapter 5 that where sin increased grace increased all the more, then shouldn't we the questioner asked, shouldn't we continue that way? Shouldn't we continue in sin, in habitual sin, so that God's grace can abound more and more that he can receive more glory and more grace? 
or show more grace? And the answer was no. The answer was, of course not. A Christian can never think that way. To think that way shows that you don't understand Christianity, we said. You are a new creation in Christ. Each and every Christian is. You have died to the oppressing power of sin. You have been made a new creation. You have been placed in Christ into union with Him, sharing with Him in His own death and burial and resurrection to live a life to God. And so your life of living and breathing and eating and drinking sin is behind you. It is done. It is gone. And since that is true, Paul said in chapter 6, verse 11, you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And don't let sin reign. Don't obey its passions, he said. And you can do that. You can refuse that because sin, Paul says, does not have dominion over you. It does not. Since you are not, he said in verse 14, you are not under law, but under grace. But then, what about that? What are the implications of that fact, that you are not under law, but under grace? That grace is the the functioning principle in our, our lives. We are justified by grace. We are living by grace. And so in the opening verses of this passage, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, in another question, as we said in our outline, since that is the case, the question was, can't we just continue in sin like we did before? Because we're not under law. We're under grace. And a lot of people think that way. I can live however I want because I'm saved by grace, full and free. How did Paul answer that? Remember from last time? His answer was basically saying, what a stupid thing to say. By no means, God forbid, perish the thought. And here, and this is what we looked at last week, the answer has to do with whom you serve. To to whom you present yourself as a slave. Because as we saw, and as good old Bobby Dylan told us, it may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everybody has to serve somebody. And Paul said that the obedience that you show is either to sin or it is to righteousness. And that obedience that you show is a revealing obedience. The one whose slave you are is made clear by the one to whom you render obedience, Paul said. Said it in verse 16. He said, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And for Christians who were just like everyone else, we were all in the same boat, slaves of sin, we have, Paul says, thanks be to God, become obedient from the heart to the gospel. That was in verse 17. 
We have believed the gospel. That apostolic standard of teaching. And consequently, we have been set free from sin and we have become slaves of righteousness. See again, this is Paul talking about what you are. These are statements of the indicative. What is true of you. Not in the beginning of, this, of these verses, commands, but a statement of fact. Willing servants to the glorious freedom that comes only by being freed by Christ and free in Christ to serve God freely. We have become, we said last week, bound to a freeing enslavement. Which led, we also saw last week, to now a very logical exhortation. Then came the command in verse 19, in the last part of of verse 19. Namely, that just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. See, you are no longer sin's slave. You are no longer under that bondage. No longer a slave to lawlessness. Which, as we saw, and as Paul said, just leads to more sin and more lawlessness. And eventually, if you remain in that state, to spiritual and eternal death. Eternal separation from God. Beginning now and moving on to eternity. Separation from anything good from God, anything other than wrath. But each of you, now as God's servant, you who are in Christ, you are to present yourselves and everything about yourselves to God, not to sin. Quit bowing to one that is not your master, Paul's saying, and bow to the one who is. Present yourselves as slaves to God. He says, as you once presented your members... As you once gave yourself so fully to the life of your old master, to sin and to unrighteousness, leading to more sin and more unrighteousness and more lawlessness, Paul says, now do the same to your new master. Give yourself now as a slave to righteousness because that's what you are. Present your members, he said, as slaves to righteousness, slaves to God. That means give every aspect of your life over to the service of God and do so with the the knowledge and the promise of God that doing so leads, at the end of the verse, to sanctification. That is the means of you becoming more like Christ. So the command here we saw last week is, again, like we saw in the first half of the chapter, is live like what you are. You are a slave of God, a slave of righteousness. Live like it. And don't imagine that you cannot do that. Don't think that you have the option of of serving sin as a Christian. And that brings us, those were the first four points that we saw last week. Another question, a revealing obedience, a bound to a freeing enslavement, and a logical exhortation. The last thing that we need to look at and we'll look at now this morning is that we are free from an enslaving freedom. 
We are free from an enslaving freedom. And that will take us in verses, to verses 20 through the end of the chapter. Because in verses 20 through 22, Paul gives another rationale for the command that he just gave there that we must now present our members as slaves to righteousness. And that rationale involves a, a comparison, a contrast between the fruit of the two different kinds of freedom that he is using and discussing here. The first is what he calls a a freedom from righteousness that we used to have. Look at verse 20. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That's an odd statement. An odd, strikes us as odd that we were free in regard to righteousness. But he's saying that in a sense, when you were slaves of sin, when you were still in Adam, when you were apart from Christ, before you believed, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were not the slave of righteousness because you were what? You were the slave of sin. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. You can't be a slave of righteousness and a slave of sin at the same time. And so when you were a slave of sin, you were free from righteousness. It didn't have anything to do with you. You didn't serve it. Jesus said you can't serve two masters, two masters that are diametrically opposed. You can't. So while sin was your master, righteousness was not your master. But what you had was a horrible, horrible freedom as it's seen in the fruit that it produced, which Paul talks about here in the verse. But this idea of being free in regard to righteousness, think about the world today. Think about how the world views you. The world considers that you, believer, are the one in bondage, don't they? They think that they are free, free from regulations, free from oppression, free from a God or a law looking over their shoulder and directing their actions, or trying to, though of course they are not free absolutely from God. God is sovereign, God is over all, and if, if nothing before, the final judgment will show that they have not been free from God or from His law or from accountability to both. But as they live in their bondage to sin and the devil, they are, in a sense, as Paul says here, free in regard to righteousness. Maybe we should put quotation marks around free because it is a very worthless freedom. It is a very binding freedom. It is a very enslaving freedom. And it results in fruit. Well, let's see what Paul says about it. Look at verse 21. He says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. See, he doesn't really answer it. But he asks, What kind of fruit were you getting? Think back. What results were were you gaining? What was the nature of this freedom that you had back when you were under sin? What was the benefit of living that way? The benefit of living under that master? Well, he says there are things 
He reminds them as Christians things of which he says you are now ashamed. Things that, that in doing and in enjoying and, and reveling in, now you think back on it and you're ashamed of those things. Isn't that true? How many times, Christians, do you think back on the things that you did before you were a Christian and you feel the shame? And at times, even perhaps as Peter did, go out and weep bitterly over them. You know, in a sense, it is a blessing that we feel shame. Shame at the things in our lives before we were in Christ. It's a blessing that when we look back, we realize how degrading and foul and ungodly our lives and our actions were. Because it's then that we realize how great a salvation we have been given. And you know, it's becoming more and more rare today outside of the walls of the church, but even more and more inside the walls of the church, it's becoming rare to even feel shame, to even possess shame. Shame is another casualty of our modern age, especially our postmodern age. Consciences, consciences have been so seared that they barely even function any longer. And it is seen as a further evidence of freedom by the world that they don't feel shame. Remember what Paul said back in Romans chapter 1? That the world suppresses the truth in unrighteousness? That's done in regard to shame too. Just push it down. Don't deal with it. But we can be thankful that we can feel shame. And as you look back at the fruits of your life as a, as you, when you were a slave of sin, that life when you were oh so free in regard to righteousness, as Paul says, even as you rejoice that God in Christ has forgiven all of your sins, forgiven you of every evil deed, you think back on it and, and the pangs and the disgrace and the shame can still arise. And the fruit of that freedom from righteousness or that bondage to sin is thoroughly rotten fruit. And he's saying here, that's the kind of fruit that you had back when you were slaves of sin. It was rotten fruit, which is an appropriate way to think about it because rottenness is death. Encroaching death, creeping death. That's what rottenness is. And the fruit that you had then was rotten fruit. And the end of those things, look at the end of verse 21. The end of those things, he says, is, is death. The fruit of those actions undertaken as a slave of sin is death. And again, this, this includes death at all levels, physical death and spiritual death and eternal death. And this is where unbelief always leads. Where it ultimately leads is to death, to separation. Ultimately, separation from God and the life of God. Twice in the book of Proverbs, 
in verses in chapter 14 verse 12 and in chapter 16 verse 25 the writer writes this that there is a way that seems right to a man you know the rest but its end is the way of death and that's where you were paul says that's where we all were that's what we that's what we all were we were slaves of sin gathering deadly poison fruit but look at verse 22 see how it begins but now for the Christian what a sigh of relief comes with those two words but now You were collecting fruit for death. You were, Paul says, storing up wrath for the day of wrath. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Notice again, beloved, that you are the beneficiary of the actions of another. You have been set free from sin. You have not escaped that slavery through some cleverly devised and executed escape plan, some prison break, but you have escaped it by the act of one coming in and taking your place. You have been set free. You have been redeemed. There's a song that we sing that says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye, speaking of God, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. An act of God that resulted in you becoming a slave of God. I rose, went forth, and did what I want. And lived in sin because I'm under grace and not under law. No, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That is a picture of the Christian life. And under that blessed situation, Paul says, the fruit that we receive is blessed fruit. It is fruit, he says here in in verse 19, or back in verse 19, that leads, I'm sorry, no, in verse 22, that leads to sanctification. It leads to likeness to your Savior. This is the fruit that we receive as slaves of God. Fruit that leads to sanctification. It's both fruit that we receive and fruit that works through us and fruit then that we we see in our lives. And you know the kind of fruit that we are to see in our lives. Paul talked about it over in Galatians 5.22. Love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the fruit that you get 
from the Spirit of God working in you, which in turn you exercise, which leads to your sanctification. Which in turn, Paul says, leads to eternal life. As both of those are a part of God's salvation, that He is working in those that He has made to be His freed servants. Again, remember, Paul is showing here with all of these comparisons and this idea of slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness, slavery to God, Paul is showing how absurd it is to contemplate the idea that a life of continued servitude to sin is acceptable or even possible to one who has been freed from it by God's grace. By grace we have been freed from the curse of the law, from the penalty for our breaking God's law, by our past slavery to sin, We have been made free of those and have been made slaves of God. A beautiful phrase that describes you, Christian. It's a title that fits us as appropriately and every bit as much as the phrase children of God or people of God. We are also slaves of God. The world will see that as an oppressive thing. We see it as an expression of the true freedom that God has given to us through His Son. And so verse 20 through 20, verses 20 through 22 say, Why present your members as slaves to unrighteousness? I'm sorry, why present your members as slaves to righteousness? He says, because that is what you are. You are a slave to righteousness. You are no longer a slave of sin, but verse 22 says you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. That's your identity. And then finally, after all of the contrasts of sin and righteousness, life and death, the fruit of one, the fruit of the other, Paul concludes with verse 23. One of the most sweeping, broad, powerful well-known verses in the New Testament. He says in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul noted above, sin, representing as it does life outside of Christ and the cruel, oppressive, and ultimately death-dealing slave owner of the old self, that that Sin does nonetheless give something back to its servants. Above it was mentioned as the the shameful uh, fruit of the shameful acts whose end is death. But now he pictures sin using a somewhat different language. A different image. The image literally comes from the world of the military. The idea of of a paymaster in the army, giving uh, the, the pay to the soldiers. But this verse is beautiful in its brevity, beautiful in its simplicity, and powerful in the way that it sets before us the truth that just as you've got to serve somebody, it is true that you receive something for your service. Or perhaps... Um, a bit more finely pointed here. You receive something 
as one who is in the service of the one whom you obey, whether that's sin or whether that's righteousness. There are two parts to this verse, two simple parts. First, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. You know, one of the most dangerous views of those outside of Christ is that sin is no big deal. That it has no consequences. What a tragic error. But much of the allure of sin is built on the foundation of that false idea. Much of it is, is, is based on the fact that there is no consequence for it. You know, Adam and Eve believed there would be no consequence for eating that desirable fruit that God had told them not to eat. And yet we know that when they disobeyed, not only did they die, but in this case, by that sin, they, Adam specifically, brought sin into the world. In Romans 5, in verse 12, he said, The sin came into the world through one man. But they didn't think there would be negative consequences. King David believed that there would be no consequence for sending for the desirable young woman that he saw bathing on her roof. Then he believed there would be no consequences for having her husband killed to cover up his adultery. Today, people believe that there will be no consequence for their lives spent serving sin as their master, for throwing off God's will, throwing off God's order, and replacing it with their own. But sin is never a victimless crime. It dishonors God and His holiness. It flouts the righteousness of God. And it brings negative consequences to yourself and often to others. And it comes with a price. It comes with a price. Sin pays its adherents. It pays its slaves. And Paul tells us the wage that sin pays. He says the wages of sin is death. Now, this is what God continually warns people about in His Word. From, from Genesis 2.17, In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. James 1.15 in the New Testament says that the desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And twice in these very verses, Paul has said in verse 16, he said that slavery to sin leads to death. And in verse 21, he says that the end of those things, speaking of the fruit of sin, is death. Death is the wages of sin. Again, full-orbed death, physical death, which came into the world through sin and spread to every man, Romans 5.12 says, spiritual death or separation from God, because sin necessarily separates us from God, Habakkuk 1.13 says, that God is too pure to approve sin and cannot look on wickedness with favor. The payment that sin brings is separation from God and from His favor. And when that follows a person to their death, 
If they refuse what we'll see in just a moment in the second half of this verse, if they refuse that, the, the spiritual death results in eternal death, which is just the, the eternal manifestation of that spiritual death, eternal separation from the blessing of God and eternal exposure to the wrath of God. That's the wages of sin. That's the wage that sin pays its adherents. That's what sin gives. That's the paycheck that it gives. And there is nothing fun. There is nothing freeing. There is nothing cute. There is nothing enlightened about that. It's just tragic. In the most superlative sense of the word. The wages of sin is death. And then Paul lays out a glorious contrast. A contrast that should fill every Christian listening this morning with an inexhaustible reason to give praise to God, to give thanks to God, to give service to God. Paul says the wages of sin is death. Look at verse 23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at those contrasts. In the first half of the verse, it is sin who gives death as a wage. Now, obviously, sin itself can't give anything. Sin is rebellion against God. It is disobedience and following one's own will. Ultimately, it is service to Satan, the enemy of God, the enemy of righteousness. It is the consequence of sin that Paul is talking about here. In the first part of the verse, it is the consequence of servitude to sin, to slavery to sin, which as we've seen is the state of everyone who is in Adam, who is still under the headship of, of, and part of that old creation who is an old man. And sin gives death. The end of sin is death. We've seen that. But notice this in this contrast here, that the death that comes as a result of sin comes as a wage, Paul says. If you keep your finger here, turn back just a page or two to Romans chapter 4. Paul is, was talking here in chapter 4 about the blessedness of the one who is justified by God freely, by grace. And he's uh, going to be talking there about Abraham and how Abraham uh, believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But look at verse 4. In setting up a similar contrast to what we have here, Paul says this. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. When you work for what you do, the wage that you get comes as a payment, as a wage for what you do. Wages are what you earn. They are, mark this, what you deserve. When you work a day, and you get paid for that, it's because you deserve it because you worked for it. And what all sinners deserve, according to Romans 6, is death in all of its dimensions. All sinners deserve that. You deserved it. I deserved it. I deserve that wage we all do because we had earned it like the most dedicated employee. And it is, that wage is what everyone will receive 
except those who receive what God gives. And that's the contrast here in the second half of the verse. The giver here is God. The righteous, just, and holy God. What he offers, what he gives, Paul says, is not death, but life. Eternal life. Eternal in its quality, eternal in its quantity. Jesus said in John 10, he's talking about the fact, he says that I I am the door to true freedom. The thief, he said, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, no, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I have come to give life. And as John himself wrote, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. That is what God gives. And it comes, at the end of the verse, in Christ Jesus our Lord. The same one and only begotten son of God who is the source of every spiritual blessing that God gives to his people is the source of this one. He's referenced here with that full title, Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the Christ. He is the one sent by God, anointed by God to redeem mankind. And that Christ came into history, God and man, in the person of Jesus. And he is our Lord. Particularly meaningful here, because Lord means master. He is our master. As we are slaves of God, we are slaves of Christ, the King of heaven and earth. And we notice that this this eternal life which God gives, He gives not as our due. It's not the wages of sin is death, but the wages of God is eternal life. That's not what Paul says. Why? Why? Because we haven't earned eternal life. It is not our due. It is not our wage. We've just looked at what we deserve in the first part of the verse. So Paul says that the wages of sin is death, but but eternal life is a free gift of God. Free, 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 free. Romans 3.24 says that we are justified as a gift by His grace. Not because of what you did, but because of what God did. Through what Jesus did. And there is, there could be, no greater gift to us than what we have been given, Christian. There is, and there could be no costlier gift to him than that he had to send his son to die to obtain it. But to you, Christian, It is free. And to you, unbeliever, who may be hearing this this morning, it is free as well. You simply must receive it through faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that you need saving and that God offers salvation, eternal life, as a free gift. And he holds it out to you this morning. 
and believers? Let's restate what God is telling you in these verses last week and this week. Are we to continue giving ourselves over to sin because we are freed by God's grace? Can we say, I am saved by grace, praise be to God, I am free from condemnation, and therefore I am free to go on sinning? Can we, who are genuinely slaves of righteousness, serve God faithfully while at the same time present ourselves as slaves to sin from which we have been rescued? God forbid. No. No way. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. It can't be both. And it will be one of those two. Whatever else you may call it, you will serve the devil or you will serve the Lord. Serve God. Believe God. Trust God. Christian, serve him. Offer up everything to him. Serve God as much as you served sin before. See yourself as servants of God and of righteousness. Seek the fruit that leads to likeness to Christ, which is appropriate for everyone who is a recipient of that free gift of eternal life that God has given and that we receive in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to that, let us all say, Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great truth that we learn from these verses that we are no longer, as believers, no longer slaves of sin, but that we are slaves of God, slaves of righteousness. Lord, first let us rejoice in that truth. Let us understand that, that the, the freedom or that the slavery that, that we are under now is a freeing slavery, that we are free to serve you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that. We pray that you would make that our driving, the driving force of our lives, oh God. That we would offer up ourselves as servants of yours. That we would seek that fruit that leads to sanctification and is ours as possessors of eternal life in Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us to seek these things all the more every day, and we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.